This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. communicated 
uh, or what things need to be communicated, and I counted them, and it turned out to be ten. So that's basically how this how this worked out, uh, and we want to keep it to ten. There's other things I'm sure that could be added to this list as I talk about it. Those of you out there listening will no doubt think of other things. That's all fine and dandy. No one presentation, as we said recently in another episode, there's no one presentation that's ever going to cover everything we need to hear. So uh, I I am not going to feel at a loss if I don't give you 11 or 12 or 13. I'm going to give you 10 for now. How about that? And then build on that as you see fit. Uh, but I will highly caution you not to ignore the 10 that I'm going to present. Uh, these things are, are critical. So let's go ahead and dive in. Let's get started. Number one, I say this all the time, and I've got to include it on this list. It's that critical, and it really fits well here, I think. You need to commit to continued education. It's There's a, a mindset in UX circles today where people feel that once they go through some type of a learning experience or once they get a job that now they have arrived and you see people celebrating and you know when you get a job especially if it's been a while or the the going has been tough and the going is usually tough trying to find a UX job uh, and people get into a celebratory mood and they want to they're excited and they post a picture or something to LinkedIn or some other resource and they're talking about the job that they got and they're celebrating, hey, come celebrate with me and that's all fine and dandy. But there are some people who do that and along with that celebration, there is a sense of arrival as if you have nowhere else to go. Um, if that's your first UX job, you may have several additional UX jobs over the course of your career. If it's simply a new UX job, this is likely not going to be your last (laughs) UX job. And no matter where you are, no matter what you do, anyone who is seeking to have a sound, a viable career in user experience, continued education is a part of that. You have to be committed to continued education. No matter what you know today, you're going to know more six months from now. If you apply yourself, you're going to know more a year from now. If you apply yourself, you're going to know more two, three, four, five, six, and seven years from now. If you apply yourself, a lot of folks don't. So let's not take that for granted today. A lot of people do not. They have a sense of, I have arrived. Uh, I have reached the pinnacle. They told me it was only going to take this long to get going in UX. And here I am. I have been studying UX for 27 years. now. Notice how I said that? I've been working in the field for 27 years. I've been doing UX-related work, what we now call UX-related work, experience design work, for over 27 years, and I've continued to learn the entire time, and I will continue to learn. I will never arrive. I will never cease learning. And even the things that I do feel like I have a sound grasp on, there's going to be higher levels for me to attain even in the midst of that. So let's not have a sense of arrival and let's make sure that you're committed to continued education. And because the job you have now is likely not going to be your last one, you need to get ready to bring more value in your current role. And you also need to be ready for the next opportunity 
that could very well come up. So let's be wise about things like that. Make sure you commit to continued education. That's just a wise way to proceed. Number two, a lot of people out there work as a specialist. And and I should note that this one may not apply to everybody because some people work as a specialist in the world of UX and some don't. If you're not a specialist today, it won't apply to you in general, but that doesn't mean that you won't operate in a specialist role in the future. So please know and understand this. Though you might work as a specialist, either now or in the future, you cannot allow that to limit the focus of your current trajectory. Now, what do I mean by that? There are people today who are keeping in mind that there were no specializations prior to about 2010, 2011. You, everybody was pretty much a generalist. If you were an information architecture, the vast majority of us were, were, um, were generalists. No matter what our title was, we did everything. And, and so because of that, we had to have a broad set of skills um, some of you no doubt heard the phrase jack of all trades, master of none, but that, that quote is actually mishandled because the person who said that actually said it's better to be a jack of all trades better than a master of none. It's really what they were getting at. He was actually talking about how good it is, how beneficial it is to have a broad skill set. He was not condemning people who have broad skill sets. And as a matter of fact, because UX is a broad discipline, if you're going to thrive, truly thrive in UX, you need to have a broad skill set. And actually, the more you know about UX as a whole, the higher your ceiling will be and the more value you'll be able to bring and drive for your team and your organization. But back to my example, There are a lot of people today who are coming in and they seek to be researchers. I want to be a researcher. I want to be a user experience researcher. And they seek to get jobs. And a lot of them do get jobs as user experience researchers. And they get these jobs, but they know very little about information architecture, mentioning the four pillars. They don't know anything about heuristics or usability. A lot of them, when they think research, they think research consists of maybe two or three methods. Uh, In some cases, I have met people who feel that Here's only, all you have to do is ask people what they think about something and you're doing research, which is not research at all. There are some people who don't know very much of anything about interface design standards. uh, And they think about UI, but they think of it from an aesthetic perspective. And they don't realize that there are interaction design principles that are part of UI design. And so in order to thrive in that arena, you need to be aware of what those interaction design principles are. You need to be aware of what they are or the interface you design is not going to be very good. It is, it's not going to bring any value to the folks that you're, that you're serving. If you look at it from the, from through that lens of for a moment. So for that reason, if you're going to be in research, you need to more, know more about these other things. You, you need to know about information architecture. You need to know about interaction design principles. You need to broaden your skill set as the universal design book lets us know there are 125 methods, methodologies, techniques, deliverables that are associated with conducting user experience research. And so the more you broaden your skill set, you'll have a bigger toolbox and then you'll be able to strategically approach that toolbox and decide what types of approach is needed 
for the particular project that you're working on, or in some cases, the company that you're working at, because you may or may not even have time to do something that might be applicable. So you have to be really skilled at identifying which of these methods, methodologies, and techniques are going to best suit us in the current initiative. So the more you know about UX, I think that helps clarify it, the better off you're going to be, the better off your team is going to be. If you think you're just going to have the title of a researcher, but you don't really understand other aspects of UX, you are shortchanging yourself and everyone else. Uh, And if you might have more interface responsibilities than another group of folks, then you need to still know more about the other aspects of the work. You can't just be an interface specialist because if you don't pay attention to other aspects of the discipline, you're going to fall short. So, so yeah, you might work as a specialist, but don't allow that to limit the focus of your current trajectory. And so referring back to number one, make sure no matter what your work calls for today, no matter what your responsibilities are today, make sure that you are always broadening your skill set, sharpening your saw, putting yourself in a better position so that you can excel even if you're in a specialization. You're going to be a better specialist when you understand the discipline from a broad perspective. Number three, please understand (laughs) and make sure you drill this uh, into your noggin today. There is not just one way to do our work. Uh, I have encountered a lot of people in my journeys who they get locked into a particular design process. They like to approach the work a particular way. They want to make sure that the way things are being documented or, or the way things are being approached, that they look at it from that angle and, and, and they become extremely rigid in the way that they approach things. But there is, not only is there not just one way to do the work, there are so many different ways to do the work. There is no one way that can be considered the right way to approach the work. There might be a more optimal way to do something in the environment where you are, uh, which is number four, the way things work in your current working environment, it might not work in others. So three and four are sort of going in tandem here. And you don't want to be one of those UX professionals that is so tied into a particular process that as soon as something goes in a way other than what you're comfortable with or what you're familiar with, that you're not going to cooperate, that you're not going to be willing to collaborate, that you're going to be closed-minded about that thing. And, and, and also, what works at one company, again, leaning back on number four, it might not be the best way to work somewhere else. So when you leave one company and go to another and you try to bring the way that you did the work at a previous company with you, that might not work. It simply might not work. And when you do that, the way they're doing the work in that particular company might not, might not be the best way to approach it. So I mean, everybody's got to remain open. And so these are career enhancers because we can't be locked into uh, double diamond. Double diamond is nice. It's a good way to frame it. Uh, and I got news for you too. Here's a little side note. The more experience you get, the less dependent you become upon a process. You, you, you get so used to doing things a certain way that you just do it. You don't have to look at a checklist. You don't have to look at anything a particular way. You just get up and you do the work. 
and, and this is something else. I'll, I'll sort of get into this here shortly. But when you when you have that frame of mind that you're you're willing to be more flexible, uh, you're in a better position to optimize your relationships with other team members because of that. So that, that's one of the reasons why three and four uh, is there, which which takes us right into number five. And number five, I sort of alluded to it, and I, I cut myself off there because I didn't want to get ahead of myself. But tip number five that I've listed here says learn how to interact and get along with senior UXers. Now, as I just mentioned, the more experience you get, the more experience you get, the less likely you are. Matter of fact, you will just, you will not have any any passion at all with regard to a particular methodology. You know how to approach the work and you just do it. You no longer have a checklist you you no longer are um, um, rigidly adhering to step one, step two, step three, step four. You just do the work. Now, people who are more senior are the ones who tend to work like this. People who are who have less experience, and this is, doesn't make it wrong. It's just what it is. People who are less experienced are more likely to look at a checklist or approach the work a particular way. And one of the things that I have noticed quite a bit in my career when it comes to the senior-junior dynamic, um, seniors get a bad rap because a lot of people say that, oh, they were being mean to me, oh, and they were, they were insulting, and they were using certain kind of language. And then you have these juniors who actually, a lot of them, uh, number one, I've never seen a senior, a true senior, go out and just set their sights on trying to be rude to somebody. I've never seen it, never done it, never seen it. Uh, what I have seen, however, is a lot of juniors who engage in provocative language. They are very disrespectful, frankly. They are, they declare their knowledge to be the pinnacle of the scenario This in, in any given discussion. And when the senior tries to let them know, tries to help them out, they take what the senior says personally. They accuse the senior of being mean. They actually respond in very hostile manners. Uh, they are very um, um, hostile. Uh, they are, I think I already said that word. They're nasty. <laughs> How about that? How about we just cut straight to the chase? They're very nasty. They are very dismissive of the experience of, of seniors, and, and they provoke seniors, some seniors, to become very curt in some situations. Uh, not many, but, but I have seen some. And then the junior gets upset because of the way that the, that the senior is talking to them, ignoring the fact that they created the dynamic that brought that, that attitude to the forefront. So it's, it's really critical that there is a way we have to get along with one another in order to thrive because if you're going to be in a sound UX environment at work, there's going to be some senior people there. There should be. You hope there are. Uh, I've seen a lot that are not. Uh, there are people who have senior titles, but they're not really senior practitioners. That, that's just the way it is, folks. But when you're interacting with real seniors, uh, it, it, it gets really hostile really fast 
and for absolutely no reason. And the, I, I mean, I have people who actually chase after me. They pursue me uh, just to argue and bicker. And I'm not arguing and bickering with anybody. I don't even argue with my wife. Been married for 20 something some odd years. I don't argue with her. I don't argue with anyone. For what? It, it, the sky is blue. What, what are you going to argue about? Uh, up is up. North is north. South is south. East is east. And west is west. Uh, and, and anything in between, we can talk about that. And, and that's just, that's an EQ thing, which is also going to come up shortly. That's an emotional intelligence factor. But when you commit to interacting with and getting along with people, when you commit to being submitted to or uh, given to demonstrating mutual professional respect, when people are are making it a point to put those principles on a pedestal, then it becomes very, very easy. Even when there is a disagreement, you can disagree agreeably and work your way through it. And there is such a thing, as I've talked about before, as healthy friction. And in an environment where the work is being done properly, there is going to be some healthy friction. But again, it's healthy friction. So we can talk. We can put all our cards on the table. We can get everything out there so that we can process everything and, and engage collaboratively in critical thinking so that we can arrive at best solutions for everyone involved, the users, the organization, the team, and even us as individuals. But when people are willing to misrepresent others, because uh, a lot of people paint the pictures that all seniors are boogeymen. Seniors are not boogeymen, but again, I have seen a lot of juniors they actually will fabricate a scenario in the moment to try to make it look like someone has mistreated them, has been disrespectful to them. I have seen somebody sit there and cook something like that up towards another individual. And I'm sitting here just shaking my head. That person didn't say any of the things that you just said. That person didn't behave at all in the manner that you're talking about here, but they insist on it. And then they go on these, these campaigns and really, all they had to do was look at what the senior was telling them, maybe go back and, and, and take, take time out and go back and, and look at it slowly and deliberately so that you can digest it and maybe come back with questions. But, I mean, when somebody has 20 years of experience and somebody else has two months of experience, the person with two months of experience do I have to explain this? It's there's there, there's the person with two months of experience has no leg to stand on in that situation. And the same applies to me with I was in that role. And I'm not talking about me in that scenario. I'm talking about another thing that, that I witnessed. When you see that dynamic, and, and it can be anywhere, it can be two years, three years, one year, uh, three months. Uh, it is amazing how many seniors or juniors I see who they're more interested in discrediting a senior. They're more interested in, in assassinating the character of a senior. They put forth more effort to do that than they do to build their own acumen. And that's just not a good thing. If you want to enhance your career and you want to optimize your job search, you're going to encounter seniors. 
So you've got to learn how to interact with us. We are not going to eat you. We are not here to destroy you. Nobody is blocking you from getting anything. But if you're going to get somewhere, you got to interact with us if you truly want to get somewhere. So that's just a big one. That, that's number five. Number six, akin to that one, make sure that you focus on growing and improving your own emotional intelligence, your emotional quotient, your EQ. There are several books. I have an emotional intelligence book recommendation list on Medium. Go to uxuncensored.medium.com. You'll find several books that will help you because the, the beautiful thing about emotional intelligence is that no matter where you are today, you can deliberately and methodically engage so that you can get better, so you can get smarter, so you can get stronger. You can excel in emotional intelligence. How you excel, how much you excel, where you excel, when you excel, folks, that is totally up to you and what you invest in getting there. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So I highly recommend tapping into some of those books. Do it on a regular basis. You can go to mindtools.com. They have a, a quick little little eval that takes probably all of 10 to 12 minutes to take it so that you can get a real high level sort of general view of where you stand today from an emotional intelligence perspective. And then look at it, look at it as a model, look at it to identify where you are and then build on that. When you drive your EQ growth, it's going to help you as an individual. It's going to help you with your team. It's going to help you represent the discipline properly. It's going to help you build those sound and viable relationships with stakeholders and clients. Everybody wins when everybody subscribes to emotional intelligence. So that's a big one. Number seven, as we get right ahead toward the home stretch here, develop and maintain an appetite for constructive criticism. How's that one? for shocker, develop an appetite where you are looking for it. You want someone to let you know where you're doing well. You want someone to let you know where you need to improve. And remember, constructive criticism versus destructive criticism, because some people give constructive criticism, but it's actually destructive. Constructive criticism, true constructive criticism, takes note of where you are today, what you're doing well. It acknowledges the things that are correct. It doesn't just jump to the things that need to be criticized. That's destructive criticism. And constructive criticism is accurate. So it pays attention to what a person has done well. It acknowledges that so a person can continue to build on that. It lets you know where you need to improve. So now you have very pointedly identify the things that you need to give attention to from a growth standpoint. You know what you need to maintain and you go from there. You build. Constructive criticism is about building. So that's what we want to do. Destructive criticism is about tearing someone down. So all it does is identify what's there supposedly and then it's not even accurate and you don't know what you're doing well so you can't engage in any maintenance so destructive criticism, which most of the people I've heard in my career who claim to be doing constructive criticism are actually doing destructive criticism. And I'm very thankful that I learned what destructive criticism is. Isn't it funny you never hear anybody talk about destructive criticism? Because a lot of the people don't even know. So I'm letting you know here today, beware of destructive criticism because there's a lot of people out there campaigning that they're giving you constructive criticism. They're actually not. 
So be aware of it because it's like it's another form of gaslighting, if you will, and it will send you on a trip that you may not make it back from. So let's be wise there. Number eight, akin to number seven, learn to excel at self-criticism. Now, this one builds on number six and number seven because one of the main and most consistently mentioned parts of emotional intelligence, no matter who the speaker is on the subject, no matter who the author is on the subject, the thing you will hear the most that's a part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So the more aware you are of self, the more you can accurately identify who you are, where you are, what you're doing well, what you're not, which requires a great deal of honesty, and honesty is a part of emotional intelligence as well. When you do these things, when you have these, these traits, and when you, you, you learn to, to develop and maintain an appetite for constructive criticism, your, your self-awareness now is not just reliant upon your own view of self, but you're getting input from other people as well. And now you're in a position where you will always take a very sober and accurate look as best you can at you. And so when you excel at self-criticism, number one, you're not sensitive when other people <laughs> criticize you, which actually is an indicator that you lack EQ, uh, but it helps you to really grow by leaps and bounds when you're aware of what's going on with you today. So make sure that you excel at self-criticism. A lot of people who don't do it, they'd rather just think of the good things about themselves, uh, but no, you don't want to do that. You want to be aware of everything. Uh, I have a a blog post out on uxuncensored.medium.com entitled, There's a There's a Nail in Your Tire. Uh, and, that, and it's speaking about the very self-same thing. Make sure that you are really clued in to who you are, where you are, and what needs to be improved. Don't be afraid of it. If everybody needs to improve somewhere, something, don't be afraid of it. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad UX person. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make you... Uh, uh, someone that can't be trusted or anything like that. If you, if you have something that needs to improve, just improve it. No big deal. We've all been there and we're all going to be there. So it's nothing to be afraid of and nothing to be ashamed of. So be very good at and learn to excel at self-criticism. Number nine, and we move directly into job search here. Work on and optimize your job search skills. People take this for granted. They've been people have been looking for jobs since they were a teenager, and now because you've been doing it since you were a teenager, you think you excel at it. Do you really? In a sense, this is really building on some of the other things that I just mentioned. I mean, where do you search for for jobs? Where you have your own job boards at your company, you have any job board on any company's website. You can go there. Don't assume that all the jobs are, and these are other places you can search, but don't assume that, that all the jobs that are available are listed on LinkedIn or Glassdoor or Indeed or Dice or CareerBuilder. There are a lot of jobs that are not there, including the hidden job market. There is a hidden job market. There are available jobs that aren't posted anywhere. And so for that reason, it becomes 
important for us to learn how to and become good at networking. And this is a nine C. So there's a nine A, B, and C. Where to search is one. How to search, which I'll get to in a moment, is, is B. And the hidden job market is actually C. So there is a hidden job market. And if you don't network, you won't know about it. And networking, could it could just be made up of engaging with people on LinkedIn from time to time, genuine interactions, not reaching out and saying goofy things to people that that are, are don't make sense. I actually had somebody recently reach out to me on LinkedIn and they said, hey, it's great to connect with you. I'd love to connect with you and we can learn from one another. Uh, I did not accept that person's invitation. Why are you assuming, and, and some people are gonna think what I'm about to say is an arrogant statement. It's not, it's accurate. Why do you assume and this person didn't have very much experience, by the way. So why do you assume that we're going to learn from one another? And, and a lot of people today in this, in this age of toxic positivity, people say, well, you know, you got, we, we can learn from anybody. Yeah, that's true. We can learn anything, but it's not going to be in volume. You, you can learn anything from anybody else at any given time, but the volume that you learn from somebody is always going to be limited to the experience that they have. Always. So that's why you have these people who have been doing UX, quote unquote, for three months, advertising themselves as mentors because, hey, we can learn from everybody. Uh, no, we can't. And not in the way that people say. I mean, a blind squirrel find, can find a nut, too. So it, it, it's not, it's really not the way to proceed. It's not wise. So networking has to be genuine. Um, you want to be able to engage in heartfelt conversations. You want to be able to be very transparent in the way you interact with people. Don't put on fronts and don't play games and don't assume that you're going to teach anybody something. That's really the main reason I didn't accept that because he made an assumption that uh, I don't need, I don't need you speaking down to me. And it was an entitled person on top of that. So no, I don't, I don't need, I, I don't want to befriend or connect to arrogant people narcissists. I, I don't, I don't want to connect with people like that. I want fruitful relationships and interactions that are going to be beneficial for both parties. That That's the best way to do it, but not when somebody advertises it. Hey, let's connect. And we can both teach each other something. Uh, I've got 27 years. And I'm, I'm not saying it to boast. It's amazing how people find that offensive, but I'm not worried about that. Those inferiority complex folks, uh, complex folks, but, but Make sure that your networking is done the right way. And I'll just leave it at that for now. And then going back to, to 9B, when you search for jobs, you must use the right keywords. Um, there are instances where people search for jobs and they do not use keywords that are really, they're not really going to generate the results that you need in order to find what you're looking for. It, it's already going to be a painstaking experience, <laughs> truth be told, trying to find jobs because there's a lot of jobs out there. And as I have already said in another episode leading up to this, just because a company has posted a job doesn't mean they really want to hire a UX person. So please know that once you look for that job, you're going to have to make it through 
all of these postings, some of which may or may not be legit. Uh, I even heard someone say recently that you have to be careful of any of job postings that are on LinkedIn, for example, that have an easy apply because some of the easy apply job postings are actually, they're actually put up by, um, uh, let's say, um, <laughs> not so safe entities. Let's put it that way. Uh, there are people engaging in identity theft and things of that nature. They have malicious intent. Uh, so when you when you go through the easy apply process, nobody there's you could end up in that situation with nothing to come out of it. But they come out of it with your social security number and your name and your address and a bunch of other critical information. So uh, it's another reason to develop a filter. And this any of us is is can be had by any of these people at almost any given time. And to those people who think that's a Debbie Downer, uh, you, would you rather know about it now or would you rather go through it and know about it? So again. Uh, I I um, contend that it's important for us to know things like this. So make sure, though, that you use the right keywords. You'll get better at it over time, no matter where you are in your career. Um, you know, Just because you know how to use Google doesn't mean that you're going to thrive here because you're talking about different search appliances and different mechanisms. But make sure that you're trying to put in the, the terms that are critical to what you're looking for and then comb through the jobs and be selective. Let's call this a 9D. Be selective. Don't just apply to every job, which gets us into number 10, our final point that we want to make for this 10 uh, things to enhance your career and optimize the job search list of tips. Number 10, very simple, folks. Apply, apply, apply. There are people that they, they talk about how difficult of a time they have finding a UX gig. Uh, they're just starting out, and you hear them talk about all these these things. I got news for you. It's not going to get any easier. <laughs> it's, it, it's tough across pretty much all the landscape of the UX job job search world, but it's more it's tougher in the beginning, and it's tougher it's tougher on both ends. It, it's tougher in the beginning, and it's tougher when you reach a true senior status. Because companies don't really want real UX people, and they a lot of companies don't want to be accountable to what senior UX professionals know. So for that reason, oh, and a lot of times when you're at a true senior level and you apply for a role, you find out that the boss of that company that you would have applied to or are applying to really wasn't qualified and should not have been in that role. And so when you have that senior, uh, that senior experience, they're not really all that eager to work with you anyway because you're seen as a threat instead of an asset. So it's important to know and understand these. But back to the point, apply, apply, apply. And here's the caveat. Don't apply for everything you see. Be selective about that. Be very selective. And make sure that you do what I call conducting a job qualification audit. Now, what is a job qualification audit? You take the job posting. I would recommend, I mean, you can use whatever tools you want. I'm going to describe it the way I do it, is that I take the tool. You could do it in Word. You could do it in Mural. You could do it in Figma. You could do it anywhere that you could paste something. But copy the job posting. Paste it. I paste it into Word. Then after you paste the job posting into Word, audit. Take a look. 
at what you bring to the table, go through every nook and cranny of that job posting and, and, and start making notes, insert comments. You do those comments that you can use in word, right click new comment and, and attach a comment to every aspect of that job posting. Look at it. Are you really qualified? Do you really have the skills that they're asking for in this, in this job post? Is this something you would really like to do? Is this something that, that actually matches your goals and the, your, your desired trajectory for your UX career? Is this a place you can actually see yourself working? Based on the job description, you, you still need to have an interview. You still need to talk to folks in leadership. You still need to vet out the organization. You still need to understand where they are with regard to their UX material level. Yes, that is important. I had a, an unskilled person recently say that we don't, we shouldn't do that because we'll scare the company. That, that was extremely uh, misguided and, and uh, reeks of of a lack of emotional intelligence, quite frankly. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be of that mindset. And and you, you're going to scare them if you're not qualified. How about that? <laughs> that's, that's what folks should be concerned about. But when you go through this job qualification audit, now you know, is this, am I aligned with this job posting? If you are aligned, apply. Uh, be ready. You might have to also, some side tips, you may need, and it's good to have, more than one resume where you can highlight how you're qualified for that job a little bit better. You can use a cover letter to call out certain things in your qualifications that are that are in the job posting that you want to bring to the hiring managers or the recruiter's attention because your, your stuff's being screened first. So you gotta get through the screeners in order to make any progress. And remember, the resume only gets you the interview. It's in the interview that you get into the weeds and you can interview them as well as them interviewing you. Remember, they're not just interviewing you, you're interviewing them too, and hopefully getting beneath the surface of what you saw in that job posting. But again, apply, 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 but not to everything, Make sure that you've, you have aligned, evaluated the alignment between yourself, your own skills, what you bring to the table, and what the company says they're looking for in that role. Only apply for, for roles you align with. Can't tell you that enough. Can't stress that enough. Because uh, a lot of people, they just apply to everything, and then you see them on, you see them on LinkedIn, saying, oh, I've applied to 200 jobs and I haven't gotten anything yet. How many of those jobs did they actually align with? I could go to a hospital and and apply for 300 physician jobs and I won't get any calls. Now, I won't, get, and they'll be over there laughing because this guy, he doesn't, he's not a doctor. Why is he applying for these roles? I'm just, this is just an example. Uh, and crude, but it's still an example. It still makes the point. It doesn't make sense to talk about how you've applied for jobs you don't qualify for and then complaining because nobody's calling you. If nobody is calling you, it could be, there could be just cause for that. So if there's just cause for that, then 
going back to self-awareness, going back to being aware uh, of where you stand, going back to having strong emotional intelligence. If you don't qualify, don't, don't complain. And because we need thick skin and we need to have a really strong sense of fortitude and perseverance, which is all, also those are also elements that are part of emotional intelligence. Make sure you continue to go forward. If you don't get the interview, go forward. If you get the thanks but no thanks email, the terrible boilerplate emails to saying that they decide to go with someone else who more closely uh, aligns with the job, which in many cases, a lot of times it's a lie, but so what? You're not going to get the bottom line is you're not getting the interview. So move on, move on. It's not about the 100 jobs you don't get, the 50 jobs, the 25. It's not about those. It's about the one that you do, and you're only going to get it when you persevere and make sure that you make yourself ready and qualified for that role that you're going into. So that's it, folks. Those are the 10 things you can do to enhance your career and optimize your job search. And that will conclude this series on the UX job landscape. So as always, happy to share with everybody. Looking forward to the feedback that we receive about this. And feel free, send your questions, send your comments. Let me know if there's any other topics you'd like to have me or hear me talk about. Be more than happy to share and get some more information out there to help because I love vaulting people in the discipline forward. That's my passion. That's what I want to do. So I want to be about doing that. But folks, that is all the time we have for today. So thanks again for taking the time to join us. And uh, we'll have another new episode for you, hopefully, next Tuesday. But until then, this is the host of the World of UX, Darren Hood, signing off. Happy UX, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.